Good evening. And first of all, Happy New Year. It's 2024. And this is our first episode of Nigerian Politics Weekly for the year 2024. As usual, co-hosting with me is Phoenix, and my, my name is Michael. Today we have one guest. Our guest is Shay. Shay is a senior analyst with SBM Intelligence, which is one of Nigeria's leading political and economic consultancies. Now, today we're going to focus on one broad issue, which is our 2024 prophecies, as I like to call them. We're going to prophesy to see what's going to happen in Nigeria on the economic, the political, and the security front. So let me go to Phoenix. Phoenix, prophecies. On the economy, what are your projections for 2024? Are we going to see the sort of growth volatility we're talking about setting our country up to become a one trillion dollar economy? Is that is that where we're headed, Phoenix, in twenty twenty four? Hi, Michael. Um, Happy New Year. Um, good to be back. Hello, listeners. Thank you for sticking with us in twenty twenty three, and look forward to more of the same in uh, in this uh, new year. And thanks, Shay, for joining us. Um, I think for me, 2024, um, I I think it's an important year in the sense that, of course, it's the first full year for the new administration. Um, and we've seen some of the things that they've started trying to do. Uh, for me, it's 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 almost a plus a change type um, um, situation where I don't see a, a marked deviation from some of the things we've seen in the last eight years that led to suboptimal outcomes. I mean, you only have to look at the budget and some of the things that have carried on. I think, I mean, if we look at our, I mean, the key indices around our, around Nigeria's economy, one from a public sector perspective, have a huge debt overhang. We have a um, significant portion of revenue going to uh, pay down uh, debt service costs. We still have a subsidy, in as much as the president promised that the subsidy was gone, we, we quickly saw it return. And so there is a, a subsidy cost that no one knows how it's been sorted out. We still see a divergence between um, the FX rate on the Nigerian foreign exchange market and the black market, given the paucity of FX. And of course, we've seen um, investment inflows crash to to an all-time low. So, I mean, all portends, not, not very good tidings uh, for Nigeria. Still, we see a government that is still intent on, intent on spending. Uh, we've seen a, a budget, which is another record budget, uh, 20, 28, 27, 28 trillion naira of spending, huge deficit. They've told us though that there will be a focus on, on, on driving revenue generation. We wait to see how that will come about. We know that there's been a lot of talk about tax reform and things like that, uh, which is right of the Tinubu playbook. If we look back to Lagos and things like that, so there, for me, there, there's going to be. A lot of um, um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, still trying to figure their way out. We still have very high inflation, uh, you know, twenty eight percent, almost touching thirty percent. So a lot of these things will hinder growth. We're not going to be on that part to to one trillion that we're talking about. This is about basically digging yourself out of a hole you know, restructuring the the macroeconomy and making sure that the central bank returns to its core function, but most importantly, making sure that private sector can thrive. Without that, there is no growth. Without, you know, ensuring that, you know, you unshackle the private sector, there will be no growth. And for that reason, um, there's still the jury's out on on what this current administration is able to do to engender growth, I believe that we'll continue to see inflation um, high. 
will continue to be challenged by the fact that you know subsidy is still in place and and the FX rates issues and things like that. Um, we still wait to see what trade policies will come out and things and things of that nature. So, when you ask me what does twenty twenty four portend, I think there is there is a semblance of of better understanding of the issues and using better tools. At least we've seen that on the path of the CBN, but we don't see enough of a focus on driving optimal outcomes. We still see a lot of wastage. We still see a, a government that is not ready to cut costs and, and you know, um, address the critical issues. And, and for me, that, that's going to continue to hold us back until, until the cost correct. Thank you, Phoenix. Shay, you've, you've heard what Phoenix has said. And looking at SBM's own projections for 2024, they have they echo similar themes to what Phoenix has been talking about. They first of all said that they think inflation will remain above 27%. They've also said that the subsidy will more or less be retained. And what I'm trying to understand, from your perspective, Shay, why is this so? Why has the government been unable to remove the subsidy despite Bolatinibu announcing on the day of his inauguration that the subsidy was gone? Why is inflation still projected to be as high as 27%? What, what is the problem, Shay? Yes, good evening, everyone. Good evening, listeners. So Nigeria's um, inflation problem, if we will start from there, is a multifaceted one such that it is affected by a number of reasons. And if you look at NBS's methodology, like the one that is announced by the National Bureau of Statistics, you find that food um, accounts for a major portion of the inflation baskets. We all understand that when um, inflation is to be measured, the prices or the change in the prices of certain goods and services are tracked over a period of time, whether months on months or compared to the previous year. And so we call that year on year. And so if in, in, this, in this instance, food production, Nigeria's food production has not increased, we don't have enough effects to import the food that we need. And so as long as food prices, which accounts for a major chunk of our inflation basket or our consumer price index that measures in inflation, as long as food prices remain high, there's no, there's no magic to it. Inflation will remain high. And then given that the with the government the president's action or or through the central bank of trying to converge the multiple exchange rates even though that has not worked as we hoped out not that it's surprising in any any way or form but with the devaluation of the naira that has also put pressure and put pressure on the naira because more people are now drawn to keeping their funds, whatever funds they have in Forex. And we still have the normal, not normal, but in, normal in Nigeria's context, the normal con context of uh, depending on imports for products, for consumables, for equipment, for machinery, for petrol, for diesel. The list is endless. So when you put all of this together, you, you would understand that if food prices remain high, especially with the insecurity in the major food producing areas of the country, and with the devaluation of the Naira, which has put pressure on FX, there is there is no magic to it. Inflation is, is projected to remain high throughout the year. Thank you, Shay. I just need to get clarification. So from your response, are you saying there is nothing the president can do within his powers to solve this problem? So that that response, uh, how do I put it? Let me let me explain it like this. So the textbook approach 
to fighting inflation is to raise interest rates. And we have seen the government from the Buhari administration, the MFLA regime, we have seen them raise the NPR, which is the monetary policy rate, which is like the baseline interest rate of the economy to fight inflation. And the, the idea or the workings, let me, uh, let me put it like that, the workings behind it is that when you raise interest rates, people are not, uh, they are not incentivized to borrow more. And so cons consumption shrinks. And when there is less demand, the prices will fall to meet the demand. So that is the textbook approach to fighting inflation in, in economics in, at any given point in time. But across the world, we have seen, especially since COVID, we have seen that the monies or the, the interventions, the COVID interventions that was given out created a situation where we had too much money pursuing fewer goods. And so there is an incentive for manufacturers, for retailers to raise prices. That is globally, that's on a global scale. So it's it's been argued in some econ in in some academic circles amongst economists that central banks worldwide should look for alternative approaches to fighting inflation because as it, as it stands the cost of lending is high and so manufacturers within the economy within Nigeria's economy cannot necessarily borrow as they would or they wouldn't they can't necessarily borrow as much as they would to be able to expand their operations and that is also affecting how much they are willing to pay as salaries and the prices the price points for their goods and services so it will take some creativity on the part of the central bank on the part of the presidency we're hoping that if the dangote refinery comes on stream it will ease. Now, it will not eliminate our uh, FX problems, but at least it will ease it so such that we're expecting that perhaps there could be some arrangements, especially when you consider that the NNPC owns a stake in the Dangote refinery. So we're expecting that that would ease some of the FX obligations that the government has. And so when there is less pressure or less demand for dollar within the economy, the Naira can at least strengthen a bit and then we can see some ease within the economy. But we cannot say when exactly because we are all waiting for the Dangote refinery to begin operations. Thank you, Shay. Phoenix, you, you've heard what Shay has said. Is, is this your analysis as well that in effect, these are matters that appear to be out of the control of Bolatilibu. So the inflation at 27%, fuel subsidies, the general economic sluggishness, that it's it's just the reality that there's nothing he can do. Phoenix? Well, <clears throat> to be fair to Shea, I don't think she's saying that there's nothing he can do. I, I heard her talk about creativity, which is exactly what you expect of any of any uh, anyone who takes the hot seats, who knew what the um, economic conditions and the outlook was when running for office, there are a myriad of things that can be done. That's not to say it's not a difficult situation. Everything she said is spot on. We're talking about, you know, food inflation. We know not only is the fact that we're not producing enough or not able to import, we also have the insecurity issues that make it difficult for farmers to, to go to to the farm but there are things that can be done and and that's where the you know we still know that there's still there's still some um um food items that are not allowed to to be imported you need to address that and tackle that head on and make sure that you you solve for that you need to solve for security whatever way you're going to do it you know we can't be having the kinds of situation that we're seeing in in, in Plateau State, in the Middle Belt, and all those kinds of things. 
So there are things that the government can do and should be doing. There's also just making, I mean, the best use of resources that you have. It, you know, one of the things I've advocated for and a lot of people who are right thinking I've been talking about is, you know, restore the economy to a level of predictability, which we thought with, you know, you, you, you say you're removing subsidy, you go all out with it. We take the pain once and then we manage it. We, we already had inflation at 20% plus. So what has happened now is that you've attempted to take your chicken out. We've seen inflation rise to almost 30%, but we still have subsidies. So your, your, all this stop-start approach does not move, does not take us forward. You need, to, you need to be decisive and make sure that when you take action, it makes sense and leads to optimal outcomes. We're talking about making sure that you look at all of public spending, make sure you're, you're, you're doing targeted spending to areas that will return value to the economy. Look at infrastructure, look at all those kinds of things that will unblock on, on, on you know, economic activity and allow uh, you know, private enterprise to, to thrive. We're seeing, instead, we're seeing um, you know, uh, foreign companies leaving, leaving the shores of the country and creating even more unemployment. So there are things that Tinubu has to do yeah, I mean, whether he has a cap capacity is is another uh, is is something else to discuss because I I don't believe so, and so I'm not surprised that some of the indecisiveness and lack of ingenuity in in some of the thinking that we've seen so far, but you know we need to keep knocking on the door and saying, look, you need to find the right solutions to move forward and not simply throw your hands up and tell us that there's nothing that can not be done. So. I fully disagree. There, there are several ways. I mean, you only need to look across, you know, to Argentina and see see what uh, Millet is already doing. Even the signaling sends the right message to people that look. Nigeria means business. We have a we have a a government that is ready to do the right thing, and people will come in to invest. But you're not you're not doing the right thing, and therefore people are are not willing to come here to bring in the funds that will unlock the economy. Thank you, Phoenix. And I must uh, apologize to Shay if I misrepresented your views. But because of time, we need to move to the political front. Now, Shay, looking at SBM's projections, one of the interesting things you've said is that in 2024, you expect the APC government to reinforce its grip on power by using the courts to seize control of certain states in Nigeria. Um, how, how, what, what makes you think that this is going to happen? And which states do you have in mind? Are you looking at River State? Are you looking at Kano State? Which states are you predicting? And when you say you expect them to use their influence to seize control of those states, are you... Are you is the report suggesting that the courts are not independent and the APC is manipulating the judicial system? Shay? So the basis of this is that uh, the President Tinumbu has a precedence and we are all aware of how the opposition, political opposition now I mean, how the opposition has all but been silenced in Lagos. They are only like, they could only try, but we can see. Although the the 2023 elections presented a very interesting situation where we saw the president lose uh, the presidential election in Lagos, but the governorship elections, it was a different story. And so it it you now ask yourself what happened that President Sinumbu lost the presidential election in Lagos and APC won the governorship election and APC is controlling the House of Assembly in Lagos State. Does that mean that the opposition does not exist? And so we expect that the president will try to replicate that at the federal level and this is also going by some of the actions that the Tinumbu administration has taken, even 
as regarding the economy. We all know Lagos spends a lot and that is how they try to engineer or run the economy, spend a lot, borrow a lot to raise revenue. And so, and of course, it's already playing out because in Rivers, everyone or majority of people who followed the incident that happened in Rivers where the lawmakers defected, Contrary to what the constitution says, that if you defect from the party through which you won your seat in the house, you're supposed to, your seat is supposed to be declared vacant. When the president was asked, the president said he is a father and he cannot get more children and then he will tell them to go back. That already, that already is a signal of what we would expect to come. The situation in Kano is also one that we are keeping close tabs on. We wait to see how how that will play out, especially when you consider that uh, Ganduje, who is a major stakeholder in the NNPP, well, worked more or less a bit with uh, the APC in getting the in winning the presidential election. So we 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 wait to see how that will play out, but it's not it's not new that the courts have been known to use technicalities to strike out and rule in favor of the the main party. That's the party in power, the ruling party. I mean to say, so we wait to see what technicalities we we would see. Thank you, Shay. Phoenix, another political issue that SBM has highlighted is the fact that the PDP, according to their predictions, will lose its hold as the foremost opposition party in the country. Is this your view as well? The PDP has the second largest number of governors after the APC. So how on earth is it possible that SBM is predicting that the party will lose its hold as the foremost opposition. Does that add up in your view? I think it adds up um, to the extent where we're seeing uh, the PDP not have a central um, a central rallying point for the entire party. So, I mean, you're making the point that they have a certain number of governors, but are those governors coming together to you know, uphold the party or are they simply making sure that their structures in their states, where which is what is important to them, works for them and simply not, you know, getting into a national conversation. We're not seeing PDP, PDP of old where, of course, you know, you had a strong national structure and there was, you know, a, a very collegial atmosphere between, you know, uh, political office holders who obviously saw the umbrella as their rallying point. That's not the case. And without that central uh, point, you cannot be a formidable opposition because what you then be depending on is for individual governors or individual, um, you know, lawmakers to be to be acting in the position of the the opposition and not, not no one person has that you know enough clout to be able to do so so it, it leaves them unable to play that role secondly we also know that they there's too much rancor there's too much issues going on within the party you have a prominent member of the party who just finished as a two-term governor of one of their most significant states who took a ministerial position in the, in the opposition government. How do you want to play opposition when you know you know those kinds of things are happening? So while yes, we have a, a large number of governors, we have a large number of national make, lawmakers still claiming to be part of the PDP. We know you know from what we see that some of them are not you know working for PDP ostensibly, they're more interested in working for themselves and they'll be willing to even work for the for the government in power if that is going to further their interests. We saw the president wading into supposedly an internal PDP crisis in River State and being the one who was mediating or trying to, where was the PDP structure? 
where were the PDP board of trustees, their chairman, their their entire, you know, to 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 be letting to be outsourcing that kind of issue to the opposition. So for me, until PDP gets his house in order and creates again that party structure, that dominance of the party that rallying point that everybody understands and the discipline that ensures that all of their political office holders respect the party and for, and you know see the party as important to their political careers pdp's days as as an opposition force are definitely numbered thank you phoenix but i need to dig deeper into this pdp problem because i, I don't understand i saw the G5 governors, as they called themselves, G group of five governors of the PDP, who during the 2023 elections all supported Tinubu, I think with the exception of Autumn. Autumn supported Peter Obi. But the G5 governors issued a statement yesterday saying that in 2027, they would support Bola Tinubu's re-election. And I'm trying to understand, you have PDP governors backing the APC presidential candidates, and Governor Wike, for example, who's now the FCT minister, he said it was the PDP that gave him permission to serve in Bolatinubu's government. So, digging deeper, Phoenix, what is going on? Is is why can nobody sort of take charge and say, look, what 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 are you doing? We all need to get together and play the role of loyal opposition. Why why is the party so scattered in this way, Phoenix? I mean, the party basically. Uh, destroyed itself with the way it carried on for the 2023 election cycle. I mean, you know, you, they they let equity go to the dogs. They refused to, you know, stick with their own um, ethos. I mean, they went away from their principles and, you know, basically became a vehicle for whoever has the most money or most clout to right to power. Now, of course, having lost election, if they had won, we will be saying something totally different right now. But it was clear to anyone that if they lose that election, it will be, become the beginning of the end for PDP as a party. Because we saw during the election cycle and the process how these G5 governors behaved, we also saw that there were quite a number of governors who, even though they were still in PDP, were, were in cahoots with, with APC. So it's, it should not be shocking to any to see today that there's no there, there are no there, there's not enough of the right type of voices to bring the party back to order because you know a lot of a lot of people took offense to how they how they behaved. The the southeast that has always been a core of the party felt betrayed, you know, and went another way. The south south, you know, a lot of individuals played for themselves and for the opposition, so they've they've basically created a mess, um, you know. And and in the north, they you know, much as they tried, we know that you know. There were people who were willing to secure themselves and and play the other way on a national level. So we should not be surprised what has happened to PDP. The question is, can they come back from it? And that is where I'm struggling to see their path back. I'm struggling to see how they can put their party back together um, because they really don't have those. I mean, the, the the generation of people who are political leaders in PDP today are very different from the ones that founded the party and have it have different principles and all of the good you know thing that held them together has been eroded in my view well it's, it's interesting because a number of commentators have often talked about the fact that even the presidential candidate Atiku seems to head to dubai after every defeat and then reappear <laughs> and it's rumored that he's planning to run again in 2027 and Hopefully, if, if Atiku is listening, well, I could meet him. I want to find out. Atiku, what, what is in Dubai that is always uh, sending you there every three, four years? But anyway, I need to turn to Shaida. Shaida, the other thing you've, your company, SBM, has predicted is the fact that Bolatinubu's popularity will continue to plummet as 
economic conditions worsen. And you're saying, or your company is, is predicting that we'll, there'll be disorganized protests nationwide in 2024. So are you in effect saying we're going to see the second coming of the NSARS? Is there going to be an NSARS style protest again, Shane? No, no. Um, we don't think it will get to the NSAS level, at least from, from our analysis. And that's why we said it would be disorganized protests, because we don't think that everyone can come together or there can be that unified purpose. Because already on Twitter, we already see how the APC guys go guys go all out to defend the president and his actions. And we see how the opposition, both Labour Party supporters and PDP supporters cannot come together to have to create a formidable force. It's that lack of formidable force or formidable opposition that makes us think that there, there may be protests, especially when things bite harder because as it stands, there, there isn't a short-term or immediate solution to Nigeria's foreign exchange problems. We heard in the news recently that there were rumors about selling petrol at 1,200, even though the NNPC has denied that. So at some point, we believe that people would get to their limits, they would be maxed out and they would start to voice out but it would be small units, small circles, nothing that a, it won't get the kind of effect on the economy that the NSARS had. And that's because NSARS, there was a unified purpose and everyone was able to come together irrespective of political affiliation. So that's what we think. Thank you, Shay. And then the second prediction you have is on the nature of the opposition. You claim that a lot of this disorganized protest against Bolatinibu will be led by prominent northern politicians. So in effect, the north that was very vocal in opposition to Obasanjo and good luck Jonathan will re-emerge as a strong voice. Is, is that what you're saying? And, and who will be the arrowheads of these protests? Who are the culprits? Can you name politicians you think who will be at the forefront of these attacks on Bolatinubu's administration? Shay? Well, from 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 all from what we have on ground so far, when you look at it, we already heard about how a former governor who stuck former governor in Kaduna who stuck his neck out for President Tinubu in the build-up to the election was. I don't know how do I what I don't know what's the best word to put was not confirmed for a ministerial position, and that already is causing distrust or feelings of um feelings of being cheated out of something exactly. So we think that that will create a, a ripple effect, especially when you also look at the the appointments that the president has made some of the juiciest slots have gone to the southwesterners i'm from the southwest no apologies but some of those juiciest appointments have gone to the southwest and there are already people who are saying yoruba local so all of this we we know especially when you look at what happened when president yaradwa passed and the north we're trying to retain the seats. So we think that already the North or Northern elites may be feeling left out and they will definitely stage a comeback. They might even replace what we would have expected the PDP to do as the opposition force within the, within the government. And so, well, I think that that former governor of Kaduna, who did not get the ministerial position, will be one of the people to look out for in terms of his opposition moves. But then it depends on how the APC government chooses to keep its friends close and its enemies closer.
Thank you, Shay. Phoenix, you've you've heard what Shay has said. Shay says the North, or based on the SBM intelligence's own analysis, the North will play a key role in opposing Balatinibu's administration, like they did under Jonathan and Obasanjo. And the allegation is that they've been sidelined, that a lot of the juicy in quotation appointments have gone to the Southwest. First of all, the first thing you need to explain to us, Phoenix, what 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 do what do Nigerians mean by juicy appointments? Do they mean those are positions where you have the ability to make serious policy decisions that make the lives of Nigerians better? Is that what is that what a juicy appointment is? <laughs> so that's the first question. And then the second question is: so this 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 northern opposition that is going to build up against Bolatinibu's administration. Is it going to be fair? Because at the end of the day, the vice president is from the north. The speaker of the house is from the north. The national security advisor is from the north. So is there truly a marginalization of the north? Uh, And I gather it's going to be led by in secondary school, we used to call them SMDs, short man devil. It's, it's alleged that the short man devil, Nasir Rufai, is going to be the leader of this movement. So can you talk us through this? I've asked a number of questions, Sir Phoenix, but can you provide a response to all the issues I've raised? Well, Michael, um, you, when you talk about juicy, you have to first understand that Nigerian politicians, they go for political appointments to feather their nests. So, so draw the logical conclusion from somebody whose objective is to go and make bank and then think of, okay, when they look at all the possible political appointments, where are those obvious ones that, you know, give them the most opportunity? And and what we're finding out recently is that apparently humanitarian affairs is such one of those juicy appointments, right? (laughs) You've seen the last three people who have held the office all be accused of um, malfeasance and, uh, and uh, you know, to the tune of 80-something billion. Anyways, we'll see, we'll see where that one, where the latest one goes uh, after she's just been suspended. But to your point about um, yeah, um, the question around the North and, and you know, treating Tinubu the same way as, as Jonathan, I think it was to be expected. Um, yes, you said the the vice presidents from the north, the um, national security. Jonathan had a, a former governor of Kaduna State as his deputy. Um, he had all the right things that he was trying to do. He didn't even go as far as Tinubu has gone in his appointments. So it's to be expected that there will be some elements that will look at what's going on even though they've been in power for eight years and and think that uh, they, they want to make noise. But I think it's a different scenario in the sense that I think the noise back then in, in Jonathan's time was also because, you know, they felt, the North felt aggrieved because, um, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Adora's time was cut short. So they felt... You know, Obasanya had done eight years, Yadura could only do three years. And and therefore they were determined to make you know, um Jonathan's life hell. And of course they had um compatriots in the south in the southwest who were willing to help them. I think it's going to be very difficult to put Tinubu in the same spot. This is not to say that people will not try, but he's a different animal entirely. He controls the media, we all know that. And I think he will be able to to fight back. Um, there's no doubt that the North is going to is going to feel aggrieved. We've already started hearing the rumblings, right? We've already started seeing uh, the political play with people with with the issue of um, you know the the supposedly accidental killing of uh, civilians in Kaduna and all of you who went there to visit, and we saw lawmakers giving money and all those kinds of things. So we're already seeing the makings of of uh, of the rumblings, you know, of discontent. The question remains how much they will be able to play it up. 
and how much they will be able to go against Tinubu, not forgetting that a lot of them played um, a significant role in bringing him to power. I mean, Tinubu really won the election, you know, primarily because the North stayed with APC. And of course, he was able to disrupt um, the South-South. Um, I think I think he's savvy enough to make sure that he doesn't break his alliances while, while he takes care of his own base. One of the things I'm expecting this year is that he's going to look, I mean, while I don't think that he'll be as successful on the economic front, I actually think on the political front, given his antecedents, given his um, his um, capability in that space, that he will look to consolidate you know, himself. He will look to strengthen his alliances. He will look to you know, make sure that now that he has the, the ultimate power in the country to spread patronage, what he did in Lagos will be child's play. And he will strengthen his base um, and do that. That is something that he does very well. So he he will he will make sure he takes care of those that he knows can be can create a threat to him, um, and then those who just be making noise will make noise. For example, we've seen for um, um, this this chap, the spokesman of the Arewa Consultative Forum, take up a position if I'm not wrong um, in uh, Shatima's um, you know. Um, office or something like that as a special, you know, special assistant or something I hope I'm right but I remember seeing something to that effect uh, uh, Dati Baba Ahmed's uh, brother I forget his name now so there will be he will be, I mean they will make the right I mean the right, right political moves and, and make sure that they're able to consolidate themselves so that there will be no um um um, rumbling from the north will be strange. We should expect that. But I think that Tinubu is much better positioned and, and in a better place to, to fight back than Jonathan was. Thank you, Phoenix. Now, because of time, we need to move on to the next issue, which is security. And I'll start, start with Shay on this. Shay, you're saying that there's going to be growing risk of riots and unrest in 2024. And you've talked about the banditry in the Northwest. But one area I'd like us to focus more on is on the Middle Belt. On Christmas Day, it was alleged that a large number of people in Plateau State were murdered by terrorists. Nobody seems to know who they are, if they were herdsmen, terrorists. There was a clash, but we know a large number of people were killed. I think the town is called Bokus. So can you talk us through that middle belt issue? What is happening? Why are there so many killings in that region? What are they fighting about? Is it a religious war, an ethnic war, fight over minerals or resources? What is it, Shay? Yeah, so it's not, I, I, I wouldn't say it's about minerals. At the very beginning, when, when, when this all started, we or the media termed it as farmers, headsmen clashes. And we saw the Buari administration try to resolve it by asking states to donate um land for ranches. Although that did not that did not go so well down south here and even in the Middle East. But that that has now evolved. You know, when you allow a situation to fester, it begins to have different dimensions. And so if you ask some people, some I was speaking to a, a top security officer over the weekend, and he still said it, it was a variation or that particular attack in Plato was a an after effect of a clash between farmers and headsmen. But what is clear is that from the Buhari administration down to the Tinumba administration so far, we have not seen serious action in addressing what is going on in the Middle Belt. And this is quite worrying and saddening, especially when you consider that the Middle Belt plays a strategic role in Nigeria's food production. And so if people are unable to go to their farms, then production is affected. 
And when you are going across the world and telling people Nigeria is open for business, people start to ask, but how about your insecurity problem? The Boko Haram problem has now evolved into a situation where we have bandits, we have the Ansari militants, and we even have we still have the original Boko Haram guys. So that's why we think that, especially now that the cost of living is high and may continue to increase um, during the year, people will there will be incentives for people to join these non-state actors in their endeavors. That that that's what that's what we think. So people will find that it may be easier to do some illegal things that will threaten the country's security this the country's security situation rather than stick it out and try to manage <laughs> as the Brian administration advised us to do. Thank you, Shay. Now, Phoenix, I'm generally trying to understand what is happening. We seem to be getting regular attacks in key cities and villages in the Middle Belt, and the Nigerian security forces never seem to be available to repel the attacks. What is causing this? Is it lack of resources? Is it poor communication? Is it general incompetence? Or is it, as some people allege, collusion? What, what, what is the problem, Felix? Had? Is, it, is, is it that Nigeria is too, too large to be secured? Is that what the issue is? I don't think Nigeria is too large to be secured. I mean, there, there are clearly countries that are bigger than Nigeria that are more secure and not having um, such issues, right? Or not to this degree. I mean, I don't think there's any country that is fully secure. But I think, I mean, and we've talked about this. Um, I, I would choose, I mean, a, a dose of incompetence and partly, and part of it also collusion. Um, we've heard from uh, no less an authority than T.Y. Danjuma, who's talked about this collusion thing until he's blue in the face. We've seen, you know, scenarios where intelligence has clearly failed. And we've talked about that. Mm. I, 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 I can't even remember how many times I've raised this issue that Nigeria's problem is not a matter of how many boots you have on ground or how many, how much equipment you have. It's simply... The, the inability to create the right doctrine and the right intelligence situation to ensure that there's more proactivity. We're letting people, you know, cross our borders, wreak havoc, do what they want and go away. Of course, part of it is collusion, as you said, but it, a lot of it is also simply a lack of capability um, and willingness on the part of um um, the, the security forces who are in charge to do what they are meant to do, and the inability of the of their leaders, particularly the political class, to hold them accountable, partly because there is a lack of sincerity and there is there is I I, I mean the more I think about it, there there are other issues at play that mean that people are looking the other way and not making the right choices or, or taking the right actions to ensure that um, um, lives and property are, are not, you know, destroyed, um, you know, at this rate. So I think there, there needs to be a continued, you know, focus on calling out the government. It is their responsibility to make sure that there is security and I mean, we've seen from the budget that this uh, this administration is willing to spend heavily again uh, on security. Let's see, let's see how that turns out. Let's see, you know, what they're able to achieve and and do. But without a a total overhaul of the security architecture, the intelligence net network, and the way we work and the doctrine, the way we function, you know, we've been fighting this you know, this type of warfare for so long 
for us not to have evolved into a security force that understands how to keep these kinds of terrorists at bay and to deal with these kinds of attacks. It's it's an abject failure on the part of our security forces that they're still being caught unawares and it's leading to, to issues like this. So the new administration has to get its act together and make sure that they can get they can get the right uh, outcomes. Thank you, Phoenix. And then to Shay in the southeast, we still have the IPOB conundrum, as I call it, the separatist group that is seeking to create the independent nation of Biafra in the, well, they say southeast and south-south, while some say it's just the southeast. How do you solve this problem, Shay? Is it via a referendum? Do you call a referendum? Or do you use military means to crush the agitations? Or what are the tools available to Bola Tinubu? And how do you, does SBM recommend that he solves this problem? So already... People, are, people in the southeast, the common, the average man in the southeast, is tired of this sit at home because it affects. It's it's you know it, it it's absurd when you tell someone, a working class person, not to go anywhere on Mondays. You are basically ruining the week for that person, and so. The people are already tired, especially now that things have become so expensive and people are struggling to get by. And I think that personally, I think that that is a place to start from when you build up from there and help the people with the help of security agencies, help the people resist these sit-at-home orders. There is also a political element that I think that the presidency can use we saw Governor Soludo try to solve or resolve or end, put an end to this sit at home in his state. He achieved minimal success, but I think that if he has federal backing or if Southwestern governors have, have federal backing, they can be able to achieve a, a considerable level of success. It might not totally go away, at once, but it's something that can gradually be be resolved. But I don't think that using military power or crushing, as as the army likes to put it, crushing militants or crushing these these people. I don't think that that is the way to go. I think that that would only further complicate the issue. That would only complicate the problem. But I think that it's something that can be resolved building up on the people's tiredness or the people's weariness from these sit-at-home mothers and then using the governors. I think that, that that would be a better way of resolving the situation. Of course, I don't I don't think that the Tinumbu administration will be open to releasing Namdikanu in the short to medium term, but we wait to see how they intend to play that out. Thank you, Shay. Phoenix, so the other angle to this IPOB problem is the fact that, on the one hand, they're demanding the release of Unamdi Kanu, but in Finland, you have the his deputy, Simon Ekbach, who seems to be encouraging an armed uprising in the southeast. Now, how would you solve that problem? The ECMA problem in the southeast then, Shay Tochanunamdi Kanu, if you were president, would you order his release? And then thirdly, what would you do if you were President Tinubu to to sort of reach a final solution to the IPOB slash Southeast agitation? I think it's important to 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 separate um, the concerns of people in the southeast from their IPOB 
agitation, if we trace it back to how this unfolded, I mean, it was it was due to, first of all, I mean, a stated aim to marginalize a part of the country because they did not vote for, for him by Buhari. And then we saw military exercises. And, and then, of course, we began to saw heavy-handedness by the military, which gave IPOB the support that it should not have had. Um, so, I mean, you just need to un unwind a lot of those things that were done, that were yes. clearly egregious, and begin to win back the people through fairness, equity, and, and treating them with respect. I think the Ekbae issue, as far as I'm concerned, needs to be a nation-to-nation -nation conversation where Nigeria needs to make it very clear to Finland that, I mean, the, the, with proof and, and sufficient evidence and making, making it clear that they will make international representations at the UN, at the, uh, you know, and all those places if Finland does not, you know, make the right, um, you know, make sure that they, they lean heavily on this chap to to stop, you know, using the safety and that he has in, in a Western nation to foment trouble in Nigeria. They need to take it seriously and, and, and see to that. On the Namdekanu action, I think for me, it's not a question of releasing him. It's a question of making sure that if you have a case against him, that you make sure that he has his day in court and that he has a fair fair trial and and you know whatever the case whatever then comes out of that trial you 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 honor that and and you know let that be but you know just locking somebody up without you know um letting the law take its course is what creates this um well he's not dead yet but this sense of you know being ill-treated and then of course supporters you know follow that through and 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 creates a bigger problem than it should which there should be a respect of the rule of law there should be you know if if somebody has done something and you have evidence take him to court and then let's let's make sure that that is done i think it's important that you know the dark days of the buhari regime should be behind us and if this government truly means well, then you begin to make sure that all those things that were done, that you know, treated the 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 southeast, and you know, we, we know how how they were marginalized and how they were treated during the during the Buhari station, which led to all the agitations and all the all the issues. My only concern is it will be. It will be a, sh a shocker to me if if um, if this administration does uh, does go down the path that I'm asking it to, because we also see how polarizing this this the the whole Tinubu campaign was, and and how how all of the issues that happened in Lagos, his supposed home base, we've seen the the rise of uh, you know ethnic slurs and you know ethnic fights on on both on all sides i mean i'm not you know saying that one we've just seen the heightening of ethnic tension you know you need you only need to go on twitter and every day there's there's one there's there's people hurling insults at each other and all of those kinds of things so if if we're truly to walk back from all those issues it it, it will take um a significant effort by by Tinumbu to make sure that he he shows up as a leader who truly wants peace and truly wants to bring uh, um, fairness and equity to the nation. So for me, I'll be surprised, but maybe that could be one good thing that he could choose to do. Well, thank you, Phoenix. Well, we shall we shall see if Bolatinubu does anything positive in terms of addressing the agitations in the southeast. But our time is up. So first of all, thank you, Shay, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting. And last but not least, I say thank you to our listeners. And hopefully towards the end of the year 2024, God willing, we shall review the predictions that we've discussed today to see how many of them have come to pass and those that didn't. But until same time next week, 
I say have a fantastic seven days to you all. Thanks, Michael. And thanks, Shay, for joining us. Thank you, listeners. And uh, have a great year ahead. All the best.